0: Welcome to the Bike Pack Adventures Podcast. I am your host, Chris Panaski. This podcast was created so as to share the stories of bike tours, bike packers, and endurance cyclists from around the world as they embark on amazing adventures. Through their stories, you'll be able to learn the ins and outs of bike travel. You'll get insight into various countries and cultures around the world to hear fantastic stories of their journeys. Through both mine and my guests' experiences, you'll learn about the pros and cons of specific gears, bikes, and bike setups. If you're new to bike travel and considering going on an adventure, I hope the podcast provides you with that extra little bit of motivation to make it happen. I want to thank Panorama Cycles, Redshift Sports, Restrap, Race Day Fuel, and Brockton Cyclery for supporting bike pack adventures and helping to keep me on the bike. Check out the show notes for more information about these amazing companies. Thanks and keep on peddling Welcome to the Bike Tour Adventures podcast. I am your host Chris Panaski. This podcast was created so as to share the stories of bike tours from around the world as they embark on amazing adventures. Through their stories, you'll be able to learn the ins and outs of bike touring, get insight into various countries and cultures around the world, and learn the pros and cons of certain gear, bikes, and bike setups. I hope you enjoy this podcast and that my guest stories fill your journeys with hours of listening. If you're new to the bike touring scene and considering going on a tour, I hope this podcast provides you with that extra little bit of motivation to make it happen. In the meantime, enjoy the show. Hey guys, welcome back to the Bike Tour Adventures podcast. This is episode 50. And as I mentioned in episode 49, I have some pretty massive news. Uh, other than the fact that I've done 50 interviews over the last like two years, which is awesome. I wish I could have done more, but I guess one every two weeks is not half bad. Um, so onto the news. After episode 47's podcast with Carl Presso. We got to talking about the challenges of running and maintaining a podcast, working on websites and all these other um, ideas and plans I had spinning around in my head. And, you know, Carl expressed some interest in maybe joining and collaborating with me. And so I decided to to go even one step further and invite him to become a partner in the project and share all of this non-existent income. So he said yes. And right now I am welcoming carl Presso to the bike tour adventures podcast again hey chris hey man really happy that you joined the team now team of two i should say it's uh it's cool to have somebody to spin ideas off of and share motivation and you know like it really helps just to pump things up
1: i'm super happy to tag along uh with the show i really i listened to uh, a lot of uh your episode in the past and i was like that that's that's it. I like the format. I like everything about this. And like to be the one doing like the 50th episode, it's uh, it's massive. I'm really happy. Like it's all the bays are all laid down, and I'm just like, oh okay, now I'm gonna do the 50. I'm gonna do the milestone. But, what was uh, I thinking? Uh, inter- <laughs> <laughs> uh, interviewing Olivier and uh, Zoe was like great. They're uh, they're crazy. They're uh, amazing. Like they travel all this by himself and like without car or anything it's crazy
0: i actually haven't listened to the episode yet i know i have it on my computer right now it's a surprise i'm uh i'm gonna wait just like everyone else and listen to it on my podcast app and i'm excited um i promise you you will not get to record episode 100 that is mine (laughs) (laughs) i'll do 75 sounds good carl what is big news number two the big news number two is Grando.
1: Um What is the Grando? <laughs> it's the Grando. Um it's a big donut, actually. I think chatting, we saw that the, there there were a lot of uh, small small bikepacking route uh up there in Quebec, um starting from Chelsea and all around Lowe and Mont Saint-Marie. And uh we just decided to stitch it all together and to create like a a big route out of those smaller bikepacking routes to create like a multi-day adventure route uh, for everyone to push their limit together and um, create like this adventure that can be done either in one day if you really push your limit or you can enjoy the route and like camp everywhere, like just make it an adventure. So I think it's going to be on the website soon and on Ride With GPS. So you will be able to download it on your um gps device we won't have ridden the entire route yes so i think we both did uh, some part of it but uh so there still can be some change to be made on on the route but mm-hmm. it's 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 really close
0: yeah there's just some small gaps yet where like especially in the gatineau park where little sections that tie together other parts that because the gatineau park is not open until may 15th we can't go ride it and just confirm our thoughts so yeah exactly pretty exciting and i know we're both looking forward to to crushing it <laughs> and the grand o we're not sure if it stands for grand ottawa grand uduway or just grand o like a big donut like carl said so it's just it's just the grand <laughs> it's just the grand o third thing sponsors bike tour adventures is super happy to announce that we've got two official sponsors of the podcast so opus and the distributor outdoor gear canada is one of them and the second one is Redshift Sports, so check them out. Um, Opus has some awesome gravel bikes, electric city bikes, all kinds of stuff. They distribute for a ton of companies, or sorry, Outdoor Gear Canada does. And Redshift Sports makes some really neat aftermarket bike parts, stuff I've been using for over a year since I first got my gravel bike, like uh, suspension stems and seat posts and dual position seat posts and yeah, some other neat innovations. Keep it up.
1: Yeah, yeah, you see those stem everywhere now.
0: Final thing. Go for it, Carl.
1: The fourth announcement is that we're going to be running a lucky draw uh, for one lucky winner out there. We don't have uh, the detail yet, but stay tuned for it because it's going to be amazing.
0: Yeah, so we haven't figured out everything. This podcast doesn't make money. We're going to use some of our own money. Well, we're definitely going to use some of our own money and find some out there that would benefit bike tours slash bike packers and have a draw. We're just not sure how we're going to do it yet. And we will let you know real soon. Stay tuned. (laughs) So that's it. Carl, your interview. Yeah, I'm nervous. I hope you enjoy it. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Anyways, to everyone out there, keep on pedaling and uh, hope you enjoy episode 50. Bye-bye.
1: In this episode of Bike Tour Adventure podcast, I get to meet Zoe and Olivier, a couple of travelers from Amsterdam that embarked in an open-ended adventure of a lifetime on the very last day of September, 2016, starting by traveling across Europe by bike, then mixing up boats, hiking boots, and ski to get wherever their curiosity would pull them. They're advocating for a slower and more sustainable way of traveling giving the example of what's possible to achieve on zero, two, and six sets of wheels. They've since traveled more than 41,000 kilometers and are not planning to stop anytime soon. Zoe, Olivier, welcome to the podcast.
2: Thank you very much. Thank you. I'm
1: really happy to have you today. Everybody wonder who you are, so tell us about yourself.
3: Um, My name is Olivier. I'm from Belgium. Um still 32 years old. I studied or I was born in, in Leuven, which is the city which is famous for the Belgian beer Stella Artois. Oh, yeah. That's why most people know this. The city. Yeah,
1: I know it.
4: <laughs> yeah,
3: it's a university city. That's where I was born. And then I moved with my parents to the north of Belgium, where I basically lived my whole life. And then moved back for university, back to the city of Leuven and And I studied civil engineering until I met Zoe in two thousand eleven and that's the year also when I finished my my university degree
1: and i'm then I
3: moved to the Netherlands
1: okay How about you zoe
2: i'm uh, zoe I'm uh, from the Netherlands and uh I have uh Wow. I've, I've lived all my life in the same city. I'm about to turn 29 tomorrow, tonight. Oh, happy and, birthday. Thank you. <laughs> and uh, I have been studying product uh, engineering uh, and meanwhile um, doing uh, rugby. I've, I've played for the national rugby team okay. and... Um, after i quitted the rugby oliver and i went on uh, on our world trip
1: okay how did uh, this big plan came into place
3: oh well it's a good question (laughs) (laughs) um it's let's see where did it start i think zoe wanted to travel for a long time already. It was a long like for a dream since her childhood to to travel around the world. Mm-hmm. But in it was when I was working in in Rotterdam. Um there was one colleague of me of mine and he died suddenly and he was he was 63, just two years before um he was going on retirement. And for me that was kind of a wake-up call. Um why should I wait until I'm 65 or 67 or 70? Um to do what I want and to explore and and basically live your life, um, and that's like the realization I had at that moment. From I want to do it now. I want I want to travel. And that's the moment I decided. Well, I'm going to save, and when we have the amount of money, then then we can go. But then it took still four years
2: before we left because he came home one day and said. Zoe, I'm going to go on a world trip. And I was like, what? (laughs) (laughs) What's my dream? (laughs) Seriously, I was jealous, I have to admit. Uh, Because at that time I was playing rugby and I had my mindset on other things. Um, But the thing is that Oliver, uh, um, he, he said, I want to do this in my life, but not tomorrow. I'm going to save for it so that I don't have to work during the trip. So I want to stay for four years and then travel for an unlimited time. And he basically gave me the four years, or I took the four years as um, as a period to make my decision. I didn't want to think about it because at that time I was focused on the rugby. Mm-hmm. And uh, By the time that the date came closer and closer and closer, I think it, it was just four or five months before we left. That I decided to quit rugby and choose for my other dream, which was traveling, and of course, with with Oliver. Uh, So that's uh, when we changed and left, basically. Hmm.
1: I think I already have my answer to the next question, but I'm still curious to hear what you have to say. Um, Who's the planner? (laughs) (laughs)
2: it's very easy it's oliver of course um he he's the one who has things in his or at the time it gets to his head he will make sure it happens no matter what he will do it and i'm that person like most of the people i think that is like oh that's that's fantastic i should do that one day and then it will never happen (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Until you have Oliver on your side or when you learn on your world trip, because that's what I've learned now is to be more efficient and to 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 write down what I want to do to make actually like a list of things that I want to do, have that list ready and also plan it. So if I want to do it, well, I have to make sure I make time for it because we always have time. We just need to make the time.
1: Hmm. And with all that uh, planning I read on your uh, website uh, there is a there's a lot of uh, journal entry and it's like super interesting but I think I saw a couple of times that you didn't want to you wanted to plan the trip but not plan the destination too much give yourself a little bit of spontaneity.
3: Yes.
2: Yeah. Yeah, yeah it's important for us to kind of have an idea of where we go so have a direction. But for, for example, the first thing, first direction that we took was going south. That was all the direction we had.
1: That's quite easy.
2: Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And, and that's fantastic because, you know, you have a goal. It is a goal. You want to go south and you want to at least make it there by bike. That was our first goal. And it's a very clear goal, but it's not uh, fixed because you can take any route that goes south, and you can even take detours to the east and the uh, east and west to go still go south after. So I think that's what is our framework: is we always want to have a direction, have a plan, uh, have an idea, uh, which is mostly something we dream about, something we want to do, we want to learn. And uh, and then just go in that direction and learn along the way and see if you like it or not and otherwise change.
1: I think the uh, wrong turns or like wrong direction sometimes makes the trip. They, they make it like you didn't think that going in a certain direction would give you the opportunity to meet someone or to see something. So that's, that, that's the good thing about your trip.
4: Oh, yes, definitely. I think... I think
2: what you say uh, is is very correct. And I think there is no wrong road because that's the other thing. If you then take a decision and you go that that in that direction, but you don't really like it, then there's always still some reason why it's still worth it. Yeah, it's still a story. Yes, exactly. It's still a story. So you might turn around and and make another decision to turn around and and do it all over again or stop or whatever. But you still have that experience. You have learned from it. So it's never going to be the wrong choice.
1: Um, Going on the really long and unconventional, I'm really putting like the emphasis on unconventional trip like this. It's a little bit like announcing your family and your friends that like you're either pregnant or you want to have like a huge unicorn tattoo. We're,
3: a lot worse, <laughs> our parents were oh, um, especially My mom,
1: autistic. my mom would be very very happy
3: if we would have said that Zoe was pregnant.
1: <laughs> <laughs> how did they react to the news?
3: Well, with the news Quiet. we <laughs> The news we said was mom that we're going on a world trip and we don't know where we go, we don't know how long we go and we don't know if we come back. <laughs> um, it was always sad, so they were not really very enthusiastic with that method. Um,
4: uh,
3: they're now they're more used to that we are saying for the next three months we have this plan, and then we'll see. So they're more used to these unexpected things and that we have these crazy plans. But in the beginning, they were no, they didn't like it at all. Especially my parents, they they're not really travelers. Yeah, um, and this. They had in their minds, well, okay, if you go, maybe they go one year, maybe two years, but that was the maximum.
1: Uh, yeah, you uh, you over you overdid that.
3: A little bit. <laughs> 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 it, I think what it
2: was, it's something they cannot frame, right? You cannot imagine something that's gonna be for an unlimited time on a not known vertical or whatever. We didn't know anything by that time. Mm-hmm. We told them. So they couldn't picture it. It was a, it was scary because it's we go to places they don't know. So it's of course it's logical uh, that they they think that way. But now they have, like Oliver said, learned to live with the message that we are very flexible with our life. We don't want to fix our life to to all kind of things. So, for example, now we stay longer in Sweden than we had expected. We're we're in Sweden right now, and yeah, we live yeah, in Finland, or our parents live there. So, uh, again, we say, sorry, we're going to stay here a little longer and they don't know how long. And I mean, it's sometimes a little frustrating for them, I think, but they got used to it.
1: <laughs> yeah. They were always like worried for us. Um, oh, yeah. like, <laughs> like even like, if you say that you go like for a month somewhere, they're going to be like, okay, but call me. And <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> um, were you always, were you always outdoor people?
3: um not really i was i was a member or how do you say with the with the boy scouts okay common in belgium um i I, actually i didn't really like it because it was more like social gathering and not learning like the actual outdoor skills Mm -hmm. for me the things i liked was the every year we would go on a 10 day um trip to the the south of belgium and do long hikes and really living in tents and those things. That was the part I liked, but the rest of the year I, I really I didn't like. So mm-hmm. I wasn't really adventurous, but um, sportive, really sportive, um, doing a lot of sports, trying new sports. But also with my parents, they're not really adventurous. My mother, she actually doesn't like traveling at all. Oh. She always says that the last day of a vacation is the best because then we're going back home. <laughs> so, but yeah for we never went um abroad of Europe when until I was 23 so oh, wow. i wasn't raised really adventurous
2: i think it's good for the people that are listening to imagine what the netherlands and belgium are look like because we are very both very small countries with nearly no nature so compared to what you you know in quebec that's something we don't have you have to imagine All city with in between the city, a little bit of agriculture uh, and a very tiny forest. And that forest is so tiny that they can even close it down with Corona times because there are too many people in the forest and the forest is too small. So that's what the Netherlands is. And I think uh, and also northern Belgium, uh, we we are not raced with skis on our feet and we're not raced. Um, going out in the woods and in the wilderness and so on. There is no hunter at all. I mean, I think nobody knows a hunter uh, in the Netherlands. Hmm. It's a very different uh, culture that is not known to to live outside, to be outdoorsy. Uh, but we are a very sportive uh, nations. Mm-hmm. both of us. So everybody's playing football, soccer, hockey, field hockey. Then now no hockey, like you know, but field hockey. Mm-hmm. Uh, so everybody is playing something at a club.
1: So more sports than outdoor. Oh
4: definitely. yes, definitely. Yes, yeah.
1: Because I I went around uh, Europe in 2015, um, like for all of Europe, mm-hmm. and uh, Netherlands. I have to admit that it was a nightmare for wild camping. <laughs> It, <laughs> it is extremely <is. laughs> <laughs> difficult. It was really hard.
2: But the farmers are very nice. You can just ask yeah, them. you can stay in their land, and that works very well. <laughs>
1: that was that was the plan. It worked well, but like at first we were like pretty disoriented. We were like, okay, where are we going to sleep tonight? It's impossible.
4: Yes, <laughs> yes. Yeah,
2: it's, I, it yeah. is, and it's it's prohibited. It's prohibited to make fire it's prohibited to camp out it's I mean there's so many rules it's even uh now that we have some spots let's say fifteen in the whole country where you're allowed to camp uh well <laughs> there's hmm. no prairie there's nothing so but it's a spot that is uh, that has a pole in the ground and twenty meters around that pole you can you can place your okay picture. okay yeah but we have that. You, yeah you have that okay yeah. so but now they close down all those places because uh, there are too many youth that make bad use of it so um no no other spots anymore hmm. no wild camping at all in the netherlands
1: I, I is it closed forever or just like for uh corona
3: no, no it's forever, forever. No, there was oh, yeah. littering and illegal uh, colors and uh, those things so they closed them permanently
2: but we do yeah. wild camp in the netherlands of course but it's yeah. not it's not pro- prohibit. Uh, no, it's not. Uh, it's not allowed. It's it's not allowed. Sorry, it's not
1: allowed. But if you're not like like they say, if they don't see you, they, they like it. Then it's not illegal. Mm, that's
4: true. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I like that.
1: Um, Olivier, uh, in your, I, I I saw your introduction video, and uh, many times in the journal, you describe yourself as a traveler and not a tourist. Uh, can you tell us the difference between the two and why? this, this this difference is so important to you.
3: Um, yeah, I think as a, as a tourist, you go to a specific destination to see the destination. Um, as a traveler, you do the opposite. You don't have, you don't really have a destination because the roads, um, where you're on and the destination where you're going to, whatever destination it is, is your destination. Mm-hmm. So you're seeing things along the road and you're experiencing things and meeting people and seeing whatever landscape um, around you. And for a tourist, that's not interesting because this is not in the tourist guides. Um, you, won't, you won't take a plane to see some hills, whatever country. Um, because you, they travel to a place and they take some photos. They do a hike maybe there and they visit those those spots you have to see. And that's very different with the way that we wanted to travel. We wanted to just leave on a bicycle and go south and see what we would what we would find on the road. And that, for me, that's the definition of the traveler. Just go and the road is your destination. The, yeah, the so experience along the way.
1: The destination is the trip itself.
3: Yeah, exactly. Yeah.
1: Huh, I like that. I wanted to start with one of your latest adventures because it's the one I can relate the most near the end of our long Quebec winter. Um, I'm under the impression that if it's not a car or a plane, um, you're probably willing to give it a go. (laughs) Tell us about skiing in the lower north coast of Quebec. Why going by ski?
3: Um, Yeah, why go... Um we, we arrived in in a canoe in the on the border with United States and Canada in the place called Fort Kent. It's, mm-hmm. it's a very small town, but it's a it's actually on the border in the north of Maine, um, bordering with Quebec. Or it's not it's no. bordering with um New Brunswick. New Brunswick. Yeah. And we didn't have any plans at that moment. Um the only thing we had was a phone number of somebody who was running an outdoor center. And he picked us up um when we finished the canoe trip and this guy he was the the founder the president um, and the coach of this outdoor center a biathlon and skiing center and we didn't have any plans and he showed us um the first day he took us on roller skis and so he took us on this roller skis and we were we, we told him um, we're looking for a plan for the winter, but we don't have no idea. Maybe we would like to ski a week or two in Canada. And okay. that's when he said, well, I was once with my motorbike um, in summer traveling on the lower North Shore. And he know that there, there was this ferry stopping in the different places. And he remembered something that there was maybe a trail um, in winter that people use because the ice is, is freezing and there's a road so we hmm. we started googling it, and we found a one minute video of the La route blanche, and yep. then we were sold we thought when we saw the video, we said, let's do this
1: that's a long road to do yeah, skiing.
3: yeah we, so and our, we
2: add a little bit to it too
3: we did not have any our plan was to maybe ski one week or two weeks, and then we saw this this video and then we thought, well, it will be three months skiing on the we'll try to start in Quebec City and go yeah. all the way to to uh
2: And let's make it clear that we have never, ever skied before. So we did... uh, Really? Yes.
3: No, never. No winter camping, no skiing. We
2: had no experience at all. But I think that was also what you said. We would take anything on if it's not a car or a plane. Just as when it's sporty and it's it's adventurous, we would want to try it. Um, And that's the thing that was already in our head. By then, by the time we already had Uh, cycled we had sailed and we had hiked and canoed the more we did the more we learned that we as not me and oliver but we as human beings were able to do so much more than we think we just need to want it and then make a plan and then even if you have no experience like we had you will finish it if you want it and you make uh, it
1: work on the way
2: exactly you will learn on the way and then of course winter camping is a little bit more serious than anything else because you can, you can die by hyperthermia. Yeah. Uh, You need to have the right gear. I mean, it's not an experiment. You have to have the right gear. Mm -hmm. Of course, we planned for that as well in, in a way that we, we only went when we felt like we're going to do this safe. So we had too much uh, outdoor equipment. We carried too much, but that's no problem better have too much than too less
4: right
1: Mm -hmm. so you're really courageous (laughs) i'm not i'm not even sure i slept outside once in winter it's uh it's uh, like uh like the temperature like can go really low during the night i think i think i read you slept at minus 42 Uh, tell me tell me where you were inside and not in a tent
3: yeah, we were on a tarp. We slept sometimes in the tent and sometimes we slept under a tarp. Um, but it's 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 different. The, it, it, we had temperatures most nights minus twenty to minus thirty, minus forty. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't feel like minus forty. The temperatures when it's so cold, it's really dry cold,
4: mm-hmm. and it's
3: still cold. But if you have the right gear, and we had a minus forty degree sleeping bag. Okay. And if you have the sleeping bag, then you you don't even need the tent to sleep. You can just sleep outside. The hard thing is to wake up in the morning and get out of the sleeping bag. (laughs) That's that's the most difficult part. (laughs) When everything is frozen and stiff and you have to to put it, to stuff it back in, in those stuff sacks and your shoes are frozen. That's, that's really the hardest part, but the rest is fun.
2: You Hmm. never did it, but would you want to do it?
1: I actually like that's the funny part Chris and I um we supposed to do it and um uh, we got like uh, very very busy um my girlfriend don't want to do that at all so uh Chris Chris and I is like we have like the same probably mental mindset that say oh yeah we're gonna do that I think he already did it because he was in the army but like yeah it's a plan for us to do like uh a boys' weekend uh, where we're gonna go sleep outside, but none to the length that you 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 two did.
2: But it starts. It starts small, right? I, yeah. I mean, you can start big as well, but you can start small, and it's it's not that that's less when it's small or something. It's about mm-hmm. experiencing and and enjoying it, and that that's the thing. That's what, what's what's exactly
1: exactly. It's better to be outside and trying than inside and wondering.
2: Exactly. So next time I speak to you, you will have been outside before the winter <laughs> <It's>, right? <laughs>
1: spring, springs right around the corner. Yeah. So I've well, already cycled. But uh, yeah, I I think it's going to be a next year something. But sure, we'll have to do it. It's uh, It's in the plan. Good. It's really cold. It's it's funny for a Canadian to not really like cold, but uh I'm one of those. Really? Yeah. <laughs> I would yeah, I would
4: I, <laughs>
1: <laughs> I would swap I would swap it for like I don't know, Mediterranean all year long. But nah, I'm here. I mean I'm a Canadian. I have to enjoy all the season.
3: I think So you're the- one of the snowbirds.
1: <laughs> I would be if I would be older. Yeah. <laughs> But I have to stay here because I still work, yeah,
2: I'm sure you don't want to swap with us. I mean the Netherlands because then all the all what you have is snow will be rain in the Netherlands, so,
1: yeah, exactly, you're right. so it's it there is a positive and uh, a negative outcome, and I do enjoy winter for the sports, so mm-hmm. it kind of like it's it's the drawback. You go outside, you have the snow, but you will have the cold for sure.
4: Yeah. <laughs> Way, way. is there still
3: <laughs> snow on the ground you're in, from ottawa are you
1: yeah i'm from ottawa and uh yes there is still the i'm living right beside the rideau canal so um mm-hmm. uh, it's still frozen but it's thowing, uh, by the day so soon okay. it's gonna be spring and okay. the best season will start <laughs>
3: <laughs>
4: ah, the black um, flag. I
3: don't think so.
1: Yeah, <laughs> we have a break. We have a, like a month break. It's gonna yeah. be okay. Yeah,
4: <laughs> the
2: black um, snow, right? Now it's time for black snow.
1: Yeah, it's yeah. Okay, I prefer Netherlands now in <laughs> <Red-Land>. <laughs> <laughs> Um even even given the fact that both of you um, are what we would consider experienced travelers, uh, what did you learn about yourself that you didn't know before you started skiing uh, the coast?
2: About?
1: About uh, yourself, well, like something that you didn't know uh, you were like either able to do or like you love or you ate. Um,
3: well, we were... We left home, and like I said, I, I told my parents that I didn't know if we were coming back. Um, mm-hmm. So we left with the idea, maybe we find a place in the world where we really think we like it and we stay there. And we've seen so many countries, and we really liked Argentina and Chile and Peru and those countries. But there was always something um, economical or the medical things or political that mm-hmm. made us think, well, it's not the best place to live. Or there was always something until we arrived, until we were skiing in, the, in Quebec on the lower North Shore, that was the first time that we really said this, this type of climate, people, culture is what we would like to live. So I really learned there that um, I'm not specifically in Quebec, I would like to live because it's far from the family. But if I would find this place, this climate somewhere in, in Northern Europe, that would be perfect. And I was really happy to find this out because it took us, well, basically four years to, hmm. to figure it out, to find a place. that we, I, I was thinking maybe I don't, I'd never find it, and go back to Belgium and I'd be happy there. Okay. But now I know I, where I will be happy.
4: Yeah.
2: Just my mom, I called with my mom and somebody said to her that we will never find a place to to call home. And I could answer, I actually found home. Because we're in Sweden and uh, Sweden and both Norway, we're we we are thinking about moving to Norway. Okay. And, um, and it is just it is just like Quebec. It's what all the people that follow us from Quebec, from that area, from northern uh, United States, mm-hmm. they all say it just looks like here, and that's a, exactly the feeling we have. It it just looks like there, and that's what we felt. felt. We want to. To experience what we saw there
1: and what did you eat along the way
3: a uh, good question There was that was a there were two difficult things with the traveling in winter we knew that the sports the skiing we would be fine we would learn it um, but difficult things were winter camping and eating in winter and mm-hmm. um, the winter camping um, well, we just had enough gear and you can watch some videos and those things. But with the food, we're really thinking, what can we eat? Because it's like a, a giant refrigerator you're traveling in. And um, so the good thing is you you can take food, a lot of food, and it, it won't spoil.
1: Oh yeah, that's right.
3: The bad thing is everything that contains water will freeze. Yeah, so that's right. <laughs> we, so we reinvented what we wanted to eat. Um, and we stayed in Quebec in the house of... Uh, a guy, and he was member of an outdoor club, and he said, "Why don't you guys buy those packages, uh, those freeze dry packages, and those things?" We said, "Well, it, for two months, it's kind of expensive. If you have to, so those things are ten, twelve euros for for one meal. So if you have to pay this for two, three months, it's it's way too expensive for us." Um, and then he said, "Well, but in my club we have um, a food dehydrator, so we we could borrow it and." literally for almost two weeks, this machine has been running and we have been making our own meals. And that's what we have been eating uh, all the way. Um, And for breakfast, it was just what you eat normally, like oatmeals. We just have to to melt some snow in those things. So that was no problem. And lunch, um, we couldn't take bread. Normally we eat bread. But bread, will it will get too hard. So we had tortilla wraps. It will freeze. It will freeze, yeah. We had tortilla wraps with um, Parmesan cheese.
2: <laughs> now you're going to get a meal. <laughs>
3: <laughs> and walnuts. And what's something else? on? No, all those things that don't freeze.
2: Well, it was basically the only thing that doesn't freeze is nuts and seeds and anything that flat so or i mean like a wrap is is flat because there is no nearly no water in it so okay. we, we would just put all those things together and then we have a, a cheese nut but, but,
1: but you you carried a, a stove isn't it
2: yeah yes, yeah, yeah yeah but okay, okay. during the we only uh, want to cook in the evening uh, that's our basically let's say, uh, routine, normally we only cook in the evening, we don't want to make coffee, we don't drink coffee, both of us, uh, we don't want to heat up our, our meals in the morning, our breakfast, and um, so normally we don't do that, but now with the skiing, we did also warm up the, the, the oatmeals, because we need it, but then for lunch, we didn't want to stop, and pack out everything and start uh, start cooking because actually your hands get really cold by cooking so we prefer to have something that we didn't need to warm up well then you just only get down to wraps and parmesan cheese that's already (laughs) and and nuts so we just put that together and then you've got a actually quite okay wrap uh, we we have tried before leaving all kinds of foods because I was very certain that peanut butter would not freeze. Well, also, peanut butter freezes.
1: So, oh, God, I didn't know.
2: <laughs> yeah. So, a- anything, anything that contains water will freeze. So, after, of course, if you would do a one day trip, that doesn't matter because it won't freeze in one day. But after a day or two, three, it will be all be one block of peanut butter that even with a knife.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Now it's toughy.
2: Yeah. So yeah, it was basically the only thing we came down to. And then even we had to uh, put the wraps inside our jackets before lunch uh, so that they would be kind of, uh, how would you say that? Flexible by Mm -hmm. the time we would eat it.
1: Oh, that's really ecological. Actually, you use your body eat to uh, warm up the meat.
2: Yeah. And that's the way we all, we did it with everything. I mean, we have, the only heat source we have is our own body. I mean, the 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 one that's generating all day. So, for batteries for for your photo camera, for we even brought a drone. So we had quite some batteries that we need to charge. We all need to pack that on our body, and and it needs to touch our our body heat. Yeah. And the same with food that we want to eat right away. So, um, uh, how do you call this? The cliff bars. Bars and yeah, stuff. yeah. yeah. yeah.
3: So we would, in the morning, we would put a cliff bar in our pocket. And by, let's say, 10, 11 in the morning, it was well, we were able to eat it
4: <laughs> without breaking <laughs> our feet.
1: Human <laughs> microwave. Yeah,
4: yeah. exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah.
1: <laughs> then, down uh, really at near the end of your trip, we all know by now, coronavirus It's and all of a sudden people stop being very welcoming and see you as like dangerous europeans how did you react to the news being so far from anything down the coast
3: yeah it was it was very difficult for us at that time because the people in on the lower north shore just like everywhere in the world are super su- super welcoming mm-hmm. and it was even more on the on the lower north shore and probably you you've realized it as well the smaller the communities the the more welcoming people are often. Yes. And, and that was especially there. And be, also because it's like everybody knows everybody on the Lower North Shore. So if we stayed at one family, then they already said, oh, but my my uncle or my brother or whatever, he's living there. So you're welcome there. And it was like connecting for us all those contexts. And then suddenly it all changed. And that was for us very difficult because we we had we were in Canada for such a long time we were most of the time in quarantine. Let's say we were outside in the snow camping. We didn't see or uh, speak to many people,
4: mm-hmm.
3: so we we felt really, um, really healthy and not Europeans. But that's how people looked at us. So that was it. Was very difficult for us to accept, um, and it made especially it made our trip very difficult because um, we are in a way dependent on on people. Um, in some way, we, we can survive by ourselves with the food. But if post offices close and road access is, is limited and trails are getting closed, we need a place to stay. And at that time, the Quebec government um, was advising um, uh, people to not rent their house to, to other persons and those things. So we couldn't find a place to stay and those things. So for us, it was it was very hard to realize what was happening. And that we had to go to leave the lower North Shore and then leave Quebec and go back home.
1: Yeah, um, it was a difficult thing to, I mean, like it was the, we'll talk, we'll talk about it a little bit later, but it was the second time you had to figuratively pull the plug on the, on the trip to put yeah. it on pause.
2: Yeah. And we, we kind of live in the moment. That's what the, what traveling does with you, right? you. You, you start to live in the moment and find solutions at that at that time. And now my mom is accusing me, which is with all reason, that she has been telling me already for, what was it then, two months that coronavirus was coming around? It was first in China, then in Europe. But we, we were on the lower North Shore, so we didn't bother at all. Because, I mean, for nobody in Canada, U.S., it was something, actually. It was something that was way away right Mm -hmm. Um, and then even the lower north shore is so um isolated that you think it will never reach and it probably I, i don't know i have no idea if it reached in the end but by the time we have been there it never reached the lower north shore but um the fear the fear did arrive of course by the time that corona arrived in in canada and in the united states and uh then living in that moment suddenly is no solution anymore because we always we always say, like, we will find a solution. We Our home is not in the Netherlands. Our home is where we are. So we really believed in the fact that we would find a place in Canada to stay and wait for corona to be over. But now it looks a little silly because we're a year later, so we would have still been there then, yeah. waiting for corona. Uh, so I'm happy we we made the choice to to travel back home uh, by the time also because we had no other there was no other way we could not stay anywhere,
1: yeah, a lot of people had to go back to wherever uh they started to their journey. It was a better solution for everyone to just go back where you like you live or where your family is yeah. if there is any emergency yeah.
2: and that's exactly. what we learned then as well after a little silly that we couldn't see that it was actually benefiting us to be home with our family with a place we know arranging new stuff making new ideas uh, and not being dependent on people's help uh, because that's also it's difficult for us it's difficult for the other people and we don't want to uh, be difficult for them as well so yeah it was really a good choice to uh, yeah,
3: it was it was it was special because in I think in February it started in, in, in China and then it was coming to Europe and we got messages from um cyclists and friends that were cycling in South America and they had suddenly they had to leave Peru and Argentina and Chile. And at that time people were telling us, Oh, but you're in Quebec, you're safe, it won't arrive there, it's it's very isolated. That's what we thought too. No, it's mm-hmm. what people also said it to us. And we were also discussing at that time, well, if it happens, if it comes here, what do we do? And at that moment, we were very sure, oh, we just stay in Quebec and we wait. That was very, That was logical for us to that decision. Going home was, we didn't talk about it and it was not in our minds.
2: We so, have no home. We had no home. Home was home, Canada
3: yeah. and the lower North Shore was home at that moment. So, um, And then suddenly it arrives. And then you see how, How lonely you are as a traveler Um, because people cannot help you anymore they maybe want to but they also um, they want to be saved themselves um or if they help us there are other people Accusing uh, accusing them for helping us um so in the end you're alone as a traveler and then the only place where you're not alone is actually back home with the family um and that was a good choice to to go back, but it took until we we arrived in the Netherlands to realize that it was the best the best thing
1: was it the end of the road in Quebec, or you you were planning to go a little bit further
3: no we
2: had we had planned to take a cargo ship from Halifax to Europe and then start skating roller skiing in europe uh, so our plan was basically from the lower sh- North shore by the time that the trail closed and they said that we couldn't ski anymore and so on. Then we said, well, then we're going to travel from Quebec to Newfoundland. No, New uh, N- Newfoundland, Yes. Okay. Uh, to, uh, to take that boat. But uh, of course, in the end, that boat didn't go and, uh, and there were no, no borders open. So the only place we could be uh, traveling in was in, in Quebec, and I still find it quite funny that we had to take one airplane and uh, one air, uh, like a, a a little jet, because like a
1: small regional flight,
2: yeah, yeah, yeah. A, a little tiny jet flight where you have eight persons inside, <laughs> and then take a how many hour drive? No,
3: it was a, like a two hour flight, I think, from blanc or close to Blanc-Sablon, to to Setil, and then from a twelve-hour, thirteen-hour drive from Setil to the to, first airport <laughs> to the, to, to the airport in uh, in Montreal.
2: That was crazy.
1: <laughs> yeah, then, and, you... well,
2: and then I felt like, okay, we're actually at the end of the world, kind of. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah it's a, it's a really 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 long drive Quebec is huge it's yeah. enormous yeah. yeah
4: uh
1: you you still did your journey um on roller ski is it the final stretch of your world tour or you're still planning for some more uh,
3: I no I, th- <laughs> I think it's the final stretch of this world tour
2: it's not the final
3: stretch of us basically uh, <laughs> we had it in our mind um since 2000 2000- i think to that we no it's not 2015 sorry 2019 that we wanted to end the trip in some way um and then the roller skiing would in be some
2: way what do you mean in some way
3: well in some way home yeah in, well somewhere yeah um and the roller skiing would be the last part and our initial plan was to arrive with a cargo ship in europe make a tour along the northern countries in europe and then arrive in the netherlands or belgium and that would be the end okay um so when well it it changed and we came home earlier because of corona situation Mm -hmm. and then we left the roller skis and we arrived in sweden and that's when we said well it's the end of the human powered part of the world trip and uh, the start of writing the book about this journey,
1: which is going to be a awesome book. I saw some uh, excerpt on the website. Wow! Ah,
4: thank you.
1: Yeah. Uh, let's go. Let's go back to the start. Let's start with uh, you leaving home in Europe. Have you ever bike toured before the trip?
0: No. Time for a quick interruption to thank some of the bike tour adventure partners. The Bike Tour Adventures podcast is proud to be partnered with Redshift Sports. Founded in 2013 by a team of mechanical engineers who happen to be avid cyclists, they've been focused on creating components that make a meaningful difference to the riding experience, such as the switch aero system, the shock stop suspension system, and the kitchen sink handlebar system. I've been using the dual position seat post paired with the shock stop stem since 2020 and have nothing but great things to say about their products. Beginning in 2010, with environmental sustainability as the main focal point, ReStrap has been in the bag-making business for quite some time. Having used a race bag since 2021, I find their holster system and magnetic buckles to be extremely effective and truly unique. Named after the animals that roamed the Tibetan Plateau, Chiru Endurance Bikes was started by Pierre-Arnaud Lemanga in 2009. After noticing a lack of endurance bikes on the market, Pierre used his expertise, know-how, and racing experience to create high-end carbon fiber and titanium bikes for the discerning rider and racer. For discount codes, check out the show notes or go to the Bike Tour Adventures podcast website.
2: No, we we have not.
1: (laughs) What about you, Olivia? You never... No, uh, no, never.
3: How about cycling? cycling. Um, I did some... Um, cycling, like some, how would you call them? Like the day classics, like le Liege, Bastogne, Liege.
1: Oh yeah. le the classic.
3: Yeah. Those, this, that's common in Belgium that you have those classics that you can just cycle for one day and those things. Mm-hmm. And I liked cycling as a sport. Just like just doing, um, some tours on, on, in the weekend, but uh, bike touring. No, we never, we never did an overnight trip or a vacation or something.
1: I think I read that you um, that you actually tested your bike on the first day of your, <laughs> <One> day <laughs> of your trip.
3: Before. Yeah, it was it was one day before we did it for ten minutes.
4: Yeah,
3: <laughs> we we bought we bought second one month before the trip. We still didn't have bicycles, um, oh. and then we saw on a second hand website we saw an advertisement for two very old bicycles, and there was the, the male and female model exactly the same bicycles. Um, mm-hmm. We actually didn't want to have exactly the same bicycles, but well, they were they were nice. They were in good good condition and they were cheap. Especially that was the one of the most important things as well.
1: Tell us why you didn't want to have the same bicycle. Um, well,
2: okay. that's the <laughs> thing in, in the Netherlands. Maybe I don't know. Maybe it's it's cultural everywhere, but in the Netherlands you, they call you a double. Uh, and, well,
3: they it was it's, it's a store in the netherlands and they say if people like a couple and they wear exactly the same clothes they have been to this store and they bought the same things <laughs> So it's it's kind of a joke if you see some couple with exactly the same same gear then then people are laughing at them
1: so we can say that you turned into the joke
3: yeah a little bit yeah, we did. <laughs> 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 yeah.
2: but it, it came it came uh it came around very handy because we had the same bikes, which means we had the same spare uh, equipment. That's so, true. Yeah. So actually that was very smart in the end. You <laughs> <We laughs> didn't notice, notice that really in advance, but uh, yeah.
1: Why did you start? I, I think I know because it's starting from home. What did, why did uh, you start with Europe? Is it because it was next door or?
3: Um, yeah, we wanted to start from home. hmm that was the, we, yeah, we did, we didn't want to fly. and um, we wanted to start the journey from home and slowly go into the unknown, slowly leaving the things, you know, behind and discovering more. Um, okay. That was the real reason we, we left from home.
2: We, we both knew that we really wanted to go to South America. Um, but we said, well, we can arrive there later as well, right? We can start from home. So that, okay. Yeah. So
1: the initial plan was uh, to go uh, to, to South America right away.
2: No, because we, we had no initial initial. Okay,
1: so it was <laughs> <laughs> it was the spontaneous. Uh, did you plan in regards of the terrain, or you already had a route in mind for when setting off for the uh, European legs of your trip?
3: um did no. you
1: follow did you follow like a road or something
3: i think we picked up on a road on a on a, an existing road after 1000 kilometers but in the beginning we we left amsterdam and then we cycled to friends in rotterdam and then we cycled to Zoe's parents in the south of of the netherlands and then to my parents and this was like a, a big farewell tour <laughs> okay and, and then we just in the beginning it was actually there was no planning at all we were just Heading just, south. just going south and looking <laughs> on the map. Oh, this road looks nice. Let's take this one. And then the more we were cycling, the more we were looking at, at the roads and the elevation profiles and those things. And the more we were planning and, and doing those things. But the beginning was there was no planning at all.
2: And that's why we're advocating for for starting things you have never done but you like to do and of course there are so many things that are afraid that that frighten you but in again like the the trip is the journey it doesn't need to be perfect and i'm a perfect per, perfectionist myself so that's why oliver comes around very handy because he's not but um it is very difficult for me to start with something because I think it's not perfect yet. I'm not ready yet. I haven't been prepared yet. So there's always a reason to not go. And on the other side, I have a very adventurous side in me that just says, "Well, I feel good enough. Why just just go?" And I think that's that's what our trip is. If we feel like we we have it enough to go, we understand it enough to go, then then it's good to go and that's what we hope to to show other people that we have had no experience in all those things that we did and uh, still we have been able to accomplish them of course very important to want to do it otherwise
1: you're really cool you look comfortable right away uh on like your bikes and uh it's uh
2: you just look happy very <laughs> yeah exactly
1: happy. <laughs> exactly <laughs> <laughs> I don't know I don't know if it's like fake it until you make it or yeah. just natural. <laughs> mm-hmm.
3: no, th- but that's also the reason that we bought these 100 euro bicycles because we had no idea if we would like it.
1: Did you second guess those like or was it like perfect like all the equip- the, the equipment was perfect from the start?
3: Um no. Well, it was well
2: yes, because in the end everything works. Again, you just bring some d- duct tape and everything will work. If it breaks, you you, you repair it. If it, I don't know, there's always a way to go. And I think that's why we're comfortable. Because if you start with something that you uh, have no expectations of, so you actually, I thought we did a, how do you call this? A competition. A a competition. And we uh, said, okay, when are we going to have our first flat flat tire? (laughs) I think I said after one day and Hmm. you said after two.
3: Three or four days. Three or
2: four days. Our first flat tire came somewhere in Portugal,
3: which is... Was- about <laughs> well, the middle of France. Okay, well, mine.
2: anyways, we had no expectations and that's what it is about. Our expe- expectations were so low that it only could go good, right? Because yeah. If you, have, if you don't have a flat that first day, well, then it's fantastic your bike is amazing it made it through that first day it didn't have a flat second day it didn't have a flat again third day wow and if that's the
4: way we live it, we just it's docked.
1: exponential yes
4: yeah.
1: let's uh let's talk about the next step of your trip uh sailing i see that you itched out on a sailing boat um first uh to cross from spain to gambia then to brazil
4: mm-hmm.
1: Let's say that I'd like to do exactly the same thing. Where do I start? Do I just go in the port and ask who needs sailors or? Uh,
3: yeah, actually, that's how we did it. Really? Yeah. We, well, we first went to, to Portugal and to the harbor in Porto. And that's the okay. first time we asked, well, we want to cross the Atlantic. Are there any sailboats crossing here? And they said, well, all the boats, they left, they left south already, so you have to go more south. So we went to the south of Spain, and we asked the same thing. And there they said, well, you have to go to the Canaries. Um, so we went to the Canaries, and there we went to the, the main harbor in, in Las Palmas. And that's where most of the boats are leaving to, to the other side. And we basically start asking captains uh, day after day,
2: then it takes you one and a half month. And after one and a half month, you have a sailboat.
1: <laughs> it's not an immediate pro- uh, like process.
3: Uh, you can. You can. If, you, if you're willing to pay for it, it's, it's way easier. Okay. Um, it's, so if you're, I think you can, starting maybe from 30, 40 euros a day, um, you can easily go with a sailboat. Yeah. Um, th- but uh, if you want to do it like us, we had no experience with sailing. We had two bicycles, we were two persons. That makes it really complicated. So if you're solo and you have experience with sailing, it's a lot easier, but it took us one and a half months to find the boat.
1: Okay. And I see that you um, you call that a, a temporary travel divorce in uh, Gambia. Yeah. Uh, because uh, it was caused by Olivier's uh, sea seasickness, And uh, Zoe, you crossed the ocean with... Um, I hope I'll get this right. Dieter and Margaret?
2: Yes, I did. Yes. Okay.
1: How How oh. were you feeling at this moment when you have two had to uh, part way for a while?
2: Oof. We were very, very, very emotional. I think, like, extremely emotional because, um, well, of course, Oliver was sick. He wants to cross it uh, in a way, but he can't because he knows he's too sick. So, and then it's me saying, well, I still want to cross. Let me go. And uh, <laughs> it's it's basically, it's just very emotional uh, because you want something to, to accomplish, but you, you can't because you want to be there for Oliver as well. But then uh, the amazing thing is, is that Oliver gave me, basically he gave me the, the um, I, I don't find the words in English. Right Blessing. Now. Sorry?
1: Like a permission or blessing? Yeah. Like you can well, go.
2: The respect is more what I'm looking for. Oh, like, yeah. Like you want to do it, then you have to do it. Don't let me be a burden to your dreams, basically. So, although it's going to be hard for me, I want you to finish this. So, hmm. uh that's what he did and he gave me that right and and respect to to let me do my thing, although that wasn't the best for him. So, um, yeah, I'm I'm very thankful for Oliver, and he he's also the one who who shows me again and again that it's that respect is so important in a relationship. To let somebody else do what he wants to do, although you're together, it doesn't mean like I'm, a, I'm I'm I think I'm a quite a, a jealous person. And it feels very wrong to be jealous, but I think it's natural as well, on the other hand. But Oliver is not jealous and he really shows me uh, what that is. It, it's all about love, I think.
1: Yeah, somebody somebody once told me, um, you actually love the the person, you're not in love with the couple. So it's important to like still listen to yourself and do the stuff that you like. Because it's probably because th- this reason uh you fell in love exactly. to begin with.
2: Yeah. Exactly. And that's was so the, beautiful. Go ahead. W- well no, I said that's very beautiful said.
1: Yeah, it is. <laughs> uh what uh like how was the uh how was the crossing? How was uh like was it challenging? It was it like uh the big feeling of isolation? Uh
2: yeah, it was very tough. Um we were together with uh with four on the boat and mm-hmm. uh our captain and his wife were very beautiful people uh they were i mean uh, 72 i think by that time 70 he
3: was 75 was 70. she was 70
2: yeah they were i mean major people sailing across the world uh already for four years i think and uh just, I think it's amazing they, they did that on that age. He built his own boat, 11 years of building, uh, fantastic. Wow. I have a lot of respect for, for them, but we weren't quite the same people in a way that living on a boat together where there are no doors to escape, it was a little bit too much for for both them and for me or for us in the first place, but then later for me. So um, it was very tough because you're basically with people in a in a room, uh, but you're not very well. You don't know how to work well together, or so. Okay. And, uh, so it was again a very emotional uh, ride, and um, uh, but fantastic because it's for me one of the best things that over that I overcame because uh, I I really get to listen to myself and change myself to the situation to fit in with the people because it's their boat. It's not my boat. And I Mm -hmm. just have to live with, with the moment again (laughs) (laughs) Um, and respect everything like it goes and uh, have more patience. So I learn all those things that I don't really have for myself naturally. Uh, It was uh, a crossing of uh, 26 days. Where you have no connection with the world, you don't see any other human being except from 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 the captain and his wife, Uh, and yeah, you just have to live with yourself basically, and all that's hard for you.
1: Yeah, a lot of people pay for that for going in retreats and something. (laughs) (laughs) Crazy, huh? (laughs) I I said when we the day the evening
3: before I had to leave the boat. Um, a couple of days before they started the crossing, they wanted to be with their tree to mentally prepare. And I said to Zoe, this, what you're going to do now, you will never be possible to have this kind of training in whatever company. In most companies, you go on a retreat for one day, maybe a couple of days. Um, what you will experience now is like almost a one month intensive personal development course. And you will learn so many things, um, it's impossible to 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 get it somewhere else in the world and there
1: is there is no bailout option
3: yeah exactly yeah. so it's it's it might it it will be very tough but you will learn so many things and it, it it will pay back itself definitely
4: oh yes
1: and uh olivier on your side you visited senegal can you tell us about uh, your time in the country
3: uh yeah i My neighbor, or the the, the neighbor of my parents in in Belgium, he has a lot of charity projects in Senegal. And when he's a sailor as well, so we were in contact with him for a long time when we were looking for the sailing boat. And when he heard that we had to split, he offered me to go to Senegal to visit his projects and to see how they were going. So basically, that's what I did Um, seeing what he was doing there and making a report for him
1: what kind of project it was
3: um it was several projects he was um especially in one community he he built a school for the children a school um a fruit garden in another and another village he started a, a micro financing project for women okay um, he financed money for a, a wrestling arena and so it, it was several projects in, in some communities that he was he was doing. And well and for the rest, um, it was just waiting for me. It was um the, the the special thing is when we when I was on the boat myself, you don't worry. You're just in the adventure and our parents they were they were worrying about us because mm-hmm. we are just disappearing off the map and they just have to wait until we're getting closer to land so they can see us. And now it, I thought well I will be okay because I have experienced how the sailing is and I think they will be fine. But it was from the first day that they left I was I was worrying as well and it was waiting and waiting for a message and those things. So it was a, it was a very long month for me.
1: You must have been really happy when the connection went back.
3: Oh yes, that was and especially they had a satellite phone. So every once every five days I would receive a message and and on a satellite phone your message is about one hundred sixty different characters.
4: Mm-hmm.
3: So it's it's like a Twitter message and and then Zoe had to explain like five, All
2: my emotions.
3: <laughs> all the emotions and, and five every- days of experience. <laughs> it's even
1: worse than Twitter.
2: Yeah, yeah
3: you yeah. So and, and that in one single message. So it's yeah. Wow. It, it
2: was very cryptical, very cryptical. But I was sure he would figure out what was written.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I hope so. You just like send like a, a word and you don't get it. And It's like, oh no, I will have to wait five other days <laughs> to get. This yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's let's uh, fast forward on the uh, other side of the ocean where you two met again in Brazil. What was the plan there?
3: Um, cycling. Well, it's, it's, yeah, it, we had the bicycles on, on deck of the sailing boat. Um, so on the other side, we we actually we didn't have a plan. We were in. We arrived <laughs> north, just sure. north of Recife, and that's like the the most eastern point of South America, also of Brazil. And mm-hmm. from there, it was three thousand kilometers to the north, um, to the border. Three thousand to the to the west, and three thousand to the south
1: used to up uh, direction not south anymore And snow.
3: Um, no, no, so we went south so we were yeah. we were deciding well which direction are we going and we we decided well we can go more south so we went more south
2: yeah okay. we kept on heading south <laughs>
1: <laughs> okay so it was we had, a-
2: yeah it's again we had no plan and then suddenly and that's how how the traveling happens because it if you look back at it, it looks like we had planned everything uh, to, to the tiny bits. But uh, what happens if you're traveling and then somewhere you hear Patagonia and then that goes into your mind and then again somewhere you hear Patagonia and then one day somebody says, well, why, we, why don't we go to Patagonia? And so, I don't know, that's how plans just develop along the way and it could be any moment that the plan becomes a little more specific I like that. Yeah. That's the way it goes.
1: Yeah. So can you tell us about uh, cycling in South America? The number one question I hear uh, when talking about touring under the equator is, is it safe? I read that you uh, even crossed, pa- crossed path with uh, Narcos. <laughs> uh,
4: yeah, but it was <laughs> north, that
3: was north of the equator.
1: <laughs> okay, this one was north of the equator. There was, that yeah. was
3: the, the, the Mexican-US border.
1: Oh, that, okay. Um, no, uh, I thought it was in uh, South America that you uh, that you had like an encounter with a uh, narco. Um... We had, yeah. yeah. Okay. That was, that was later. later. Okay, but, that was later. We'll yeah. come back to that.
3: <laughs> <laughs> um, but South America, um, for us, it's it's super safe, and um, and I understand this feeling people have, and I had it as well when we were cycling in Brazil because we know those things about Brazil. It's violence and there are these gangs and favelas and, and those things. So we had the feeling as well that it was unsafe until you're there and you're experiencing, experiencing the people and the culture. And then suddenly it's, it's once again, you're a traveler and your home is the country where you are. Um, like imagine people, so if we see on the
2: television a war zone, right? I don't think the worst one, but somewhere where it's going on all the time, but it's, it's not one big bang, but it goes on. There are people living there and they, they just live, they live the normal life, but in a very sad condition, but they live. And, um, and in this case, there is no war going on in South America. And, uh, It is actually if you meet those people, you just you get to see that all those people live and they just live the normal life. There is no there is no reason to be afraid, really. And um, and and the people, they just take you in as part of your as if you're part of their family. And every person you meet again, 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 they're so friendly and they help you around. And there is no moment that you're going to feel well, there's not a moment there are gonna be moments of course that you feel maybe for some reason unsafe, but let's say it this way, there never happened something to us. Very boring story, but nothing happened.
1: <laughs> I think I think it's a good story because you're still here to talk about it.
4: Yeah, yeah <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I
1: think I think it happens everywhere. In Europe, uh we were like travelling from village to village and like they were saying like, Oh yeah, you're going to the next village? Oh yeah, those are like you must be careful around there and like arriving to this other village they were like oh you came from this one oh yeah no they're very dangerous <laughs> exactly.
4: everyone
1: everyone was pretty much fine <laughs> so yeah
2: exactly and that's how we developed a rule which can come handy for people that don't feel or don't know when to feel certain of course it's your feeling is going to tell you but Uh, we came after several years of traveling that people always talk about the bad happening there. So it's always going to be bad on the other side. But uh, you have to start to listen carefully when they say it's dangerous here. Mm. So that's for us where we started. Why? People say don't go to Guatemala because it's really dangerous there. We basically don't listen because we have learned that people like to talk about the bad happening on the other side of the border (laughs) where they don't know it.
1: There's a lot of people that say, oh yeah, this country is dangerous. And then you're asking when do, when, when your passport's going to expire and and they're like, oh, I don't have any passport. I'm like, okay, I might not trust your opinion on the situation in this country.
4: Yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly.
3: In, in the whole of South America, I think we it happened twice maybe that people said it's not safe here. And, and then you have to be cautious and really listen to what the people say. And you have to follow what the people say. You have, mm. to, you have to believe it. Um, but all the rest of South America
2: fantastic it's
3: just it's amazing the people the culture and we never 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 felt unsafe
2: and other people even those people are gonna say aren't you afraid but that's not that's not part of the rule The, the rule is only if they say if it's not safe here then listen and otherwise it's gonna be perfectly safe you're gonna be happy because south america is fantastic it's really the best place to cycle for
1: us you're inspiring. Now I want to go. <laughs> you should. What's your fondest memory of South America? Like your best moment.
3: Wow. Mm, well, on the bicycle, if you look at your cycling experience, I would say the salt flats in Bolivia. Oh yeah. Absolutely. That's that's something out of this world to cycle on those those salt flats because it's just it's white everywhere completely flat it's it's so special it's like distances don't exist there because it everything is in it's put in another perspective it's it's that's amazing um and that's that's a cycling experience
1: I'm curious about the salar uh is it um is it cold because uh, every every time I'm looking at picture of people it's either it, because it's probably like desert so it's cold at night and warm at day exactly exactly yeah that's, that's okay. the-
2: warm a day the sun is burning so really uh warm but it's still like if you would sit and do nothing and there is no sun around it would be chilly
1: okay 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 So but because it's
3: it's at, a, yeah it's at elevation is it 3, yeah it's up in the mountains yeah so the air is thin and it, it feels a little bit chilly but if the sun is there it's good but in the night it, it goes to minus 10 minus 15 degrees okay. celsius so not fahrenheit celsius
1: Off the bike, what's your best memories? Because you say like, if we keep it cycling,
2: yeah, yeah, it's so hard to say. I'm I'm trying to go fast through my memories, but (laughs) just the immense amount of people that you meet and 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 being so kind, inviting you and sharing everything they have. If there's something we learned from South America, and in the end, it's everywhere in the world. But for us, it felt really like uh, this this lesson came to us in South America is that sharing is so uh, it it will give you back so much (laughs) so those people shared everything with us and I now know that giving and sharing and even giving is even a step further uh, is very important for me to do in in my future life I want to
3: people there's one story of uh, a guy in argentina we were we often sleep in in firemen stations in Arge- in south america it's very common that you can knock on the door and they're voluntary based so they Not often in every country though. often they they help or you can pitch your tent and you can get a shower or those things and this place was in, in in a small town in argentina and we asked if we could pitch the tent but the fire station was too big so they couldn't help us because it was too professional and then there was one guy um he was a technician there and he was blind almost blind like he could see like two percent of a normal person and he just heard that we were looking for a place and he said well you can come to my place
2: he couldn't see us he couldn't
3: see us he could (laughs) he could only trust us based on what we were saying that we were cycling and that we were looking for a place and he just offered us to come to his house and he would go to work next day and just leave the house for us. And, and actually he, because he was blind, he only could trust us based on the story. And he he's never seen us. And that was so special, but it's, it's so unbelievable that people can just do this. And that's uh, happens often that we want to see things first before we believe it. And what we learned from this guy is just believe things and, You don't need to trust and you don't need to see those things. And there's good
4: people. Yeah. Yeah.
2: That's what I meant. Actually. That's the right word with so many people gave us, but they, what they gave us is not just a a place to sleep or, or a meal. They gave us trust. And that's what we have felt a lot. We felt like the children of everybody as if we're part of the family. They trust us with their whole heart and, Wow. Yeah, I still <laughs> I'm still very, very thankful, thankful for what all the people have done to us.
1: The connection that was easier to make in South America with people.
2: Well, no, I think it's just because for us, the the lesson came in South America, but actually, actually, we learned. That although we thought it was only in South America, it was also in the United States, also in Canada, also in Europe. And even in my own country, the Netherlands, where I didn't expect that people would open their doors for us. It's everywhere.
4: Hmm.
3: Well, the difference in South America, it's um, people, well, people don't have, it's like the mañana, mañana, tomorrow, tomorrow, we'll see tomorrow culture. So Mm -hmm. if a cyclist, if you arrive there, the whole family is coming and it's all about you. And you're not leaving after one night, no yes, to stay at least two, three nights. You won't and be
4: offended, you, offended.
3: Yeah. Yeah, you you're central in their life at that moment. And that's that's the difference with with Europe that we know where everything is planned, and if you come as a cyclist, it's all about you, but maybe for this night and tomorrow yeah. we prefer that you go because I have other plans. In South America there are no other plans. You are the plan.
1: The plan is you.
3: The plan is you, exactly. And that happens all the time, and that makes you feel so happy and so connected with the culture.
1: Then you ha- you had to go home. Uh, that's the that's the bummer. Um, I yeah. was uh, particularly touched by your uh, journal entry. I think it was titled um, "A Capture Captured Free Bird."
4: Yeah. Yes.
1: I I I really like the image. Uh, can you explain what happened?
2: Yeah. Um uh the long or the short story mm-hmm. <laughs> i'm not so good in <laughs> short stories
4: okay
2: well anyways uh what happened is that in bolivia i figured out that my menstruation sick cyclist wasn't going uh natural so i went to the hospital there and then they did a whole checkout and um uh, well they found something but it didn't it wasn't really the thing so we moved on to ecuador cycling and there i had another checkup and then they said you have uh an uh, a tumor in your ovaries uh so it was kind of why didn't they see that in bolivia but um uh, the the story what makes it very Difficult, or again very emotional, was because you're in another country where you don't know how things work, and things do work differently because it's another culture. And uh, I was just laying there on the the bed. I don't know the medical terms, but on the bed, and and the guy, the the doctor was watching inside of me. Mm. and then telling me right at that moment while i was laying there that i had a tumor that i could be pregnant because my diu was too low and that i had o- a cystical ovaries or whatever anyway exactly. three big problems right there on the table
1: <laughs> wow in south america
2: in south america yes oh. and uh well then they say, "Okay, you're you're done." So they send you outside, and they give you a, a paper where everything is written down, and then you have to figure that out with your. We our Spanish is good, but medical terms is something else. And okay. you don't get any explanation, no time to like question and to ask and learn about what actually happened to you. And then, of course, um, the most important thing he he said in between all those words was uh it has to go out so the tumor has to has to be taken out and uh well then we were just outside the hospital suddenly with this news and we were like okay what what now uh something i have to take it out or not do we do that in uh, colombia because we were heading to colombia or do what what do we do we're certainly not going to go home and uh but then again like that's how things happen first you think you're gonna find a solution in the moment Uh, but then in the end uh, we trusted on the fact that sometimes you just have to be home Mm -hmm. at a place where you know things where you understand things where your family is there to to, they will be always there for you um so we made the decision to not do the operation and in Colombia but to fly home and uh, do it at home so uh, that was indeed a very very big bummer because by that time we had traveled uh two years on human power yeah and uh that was very painful to then just know okay well one day and we're back home by plane so okay that was a bigger bummer than the fact that something had to taken out of 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 my body <laughs>
1: How long was the, uh, recuperation from all of this? Like you had the operation obviously, but after that, how long did it take for you to go back on the road?
2: Yeah, it was actually a a minor operation. Um, uh, so the normal recovery is six weeks, but then after I finished those six weeks, uh, I, I, I felt something, but I thought it was normal but then, in the end, when I came back for the end uh, con- consults, um, is consult, consultation, consultation, yeah. then uh, then they figured out that it was uh, a, a hernia, which means that basically there was a little cut in my fascia, and they had to do another operation. Oh. So uh, I had a second operation after that, and that was again a six-week uh, recuperation. Uh, But then I'm very, I I want to go, I I want to recover. Is it the recover? Recover the. Yeah, uh, as quickly as I can. So I told the doctor, like, tell me the exact date, because if you give me a yes, I will take it all. So, (laughs) uh, and he, she said six weeks. So by that six weeks, we were back on the bike in Mexico. Oh, wow. 100 kilometers a day.
1: Oh wow. You too when you have something in mind, you go.
4: <laughs> <laughs> yes. It, it,
2: the the thing is for me personally, things have to be finished. I am a perfectionist, so I really have a hard time if I cannot finish things and and just and I don't know what the finish is, but at least not being in a hospital waiting for m- my recuperation, so recovery. Jesus. <laughs>
1: So a new plan is uh, laid down, and then you're starting in Mexico, cycling up to the USA, and if it wasn't enough, you add hiking the Appalachian over a thousand kilometer and canoeing the entire length of the Norton Forest Canoe Trail. Yes, I had a really good laugh uh, watching your training video. By the way, um, <laughs> <laughs> it was like extreme training. Yeah, uh, yeah. Like, <laughs> well- why did you plan your route this way? Was it like to try everything on the road or uh, it was just on the way? So why not?
3: We, we had to plan um, when we were in the south of Argentina, in the south of, well, the, the very, very south of South America in Ushuaia. We already had to plan to do a long hike and to do a stretching canoe. But we knew that for these long trips, we had to go to the United States or to Canada to do this long, this kind of trips. And then for some reason, we figured out that they're about the Northern Forest Canoe Trail. Okay. And then we thought, well, then we can connect it with um, hiking on the Appalachian Trail. But to get there, we need to go cycling. So it all fitted together in this way. But the, the initial plan was the Northern Forest Canoe Trail. But we made it a little bit more extreme by adding some extras
1: (laughs) yeah it's uh, i'm just still amazed that like you some people would go on the canal trail on the its own trip and then the appalachian they would do that over like many years and you just you went it was like okay it's gonna be a true hike and it's gonna be we're gonna do it all and uh I'm still like, even, even though I'm asking questions right now, but I'm still impressed that you, you just, <laughs> you just go to it. It's like, there's no hesitation. It's like, it's going to be this way and that's it.
2: Well, it's not that there's no hesitation, of course, as well. I really remember that we said thousand kilometers and I have to say we, the, the Appalachian Trail is 3,000, right? So
1: mm-hmm.
2: we only did one-third of the Appalachian Trail.
1: <laughs> you only did 1,000 kilometers. <laughs> yeah.
2: And uh, I really remember that I said to Oliver, I want to do a hike one day, like a really long hike. But then we were like, 1,000 kilometers. Gee, that's so long. But that, it, it, it was a round number, right? So let's say we're going to try that 1,000. And um, And... And I have to say, I think that was the last um, sport we did where I had kind of wonders if we would be able to make it. I really saw that as a big, big heavy uh, thing. Not sure if I would be able to finish. But Mm -hmm. then when we overcame that, when we did that, it's like I said previous, when you do more and more things and you learn that you're actually able to do it, then, of course, the next step is going to be easier. Mm-hmm. So uh, Then the canoe trail was, I mean, we had no idea how to canoe, but we said, well, we will figure that out, but we are very sure we will make the end. We were just sure by the end, like it was no question for us anymore because for many people doing this Northern Forest canoe trail is, is a big question if, if they would make it. But for us, it was 50 days in a two-and-a-half-year adventure.
1: Did you buy the canoe in advance, or you bought it on the road or on the trail?
3: Uh, we made a, we had a sponsorship deal with a canoe company. Okay. In the US, so that was a good thing of uh, being home for a while for the surgery. We had suddenly we had a lot of time to to, to do other things.
4: Mm-hmm.
3: So we started with making a sponsor proposal because we thought we do, we knew if we would have to rent or buy a canoe for this trip, it would be kind of expensive on our world trip budget. Yes. Um, so that when we started to make sponsorship proposals and, um, so we, we made a deal with this canoe company. So the canoe was waiting for us when we arrived by bicycle, uh, at the start of the, the trip.
1: That's really convenient. Uh, what did you do with the bike?
3: Uh, it's, it's <laughs> so many stories of people <laughs> along the way. We, we cycled from Mexico to the start of the Appalachian trail in, in Georgia. And okay. our plan was to leave the bicycles in Atlanta, hike 1000 kilometers, take the train, pick up our bicycles and continue cycling. And when we told this plan to the people that um, were going to host us at the end of our hike, they said, this is crazy, guys. You have to take the train back to Georgia. We will go and pick up your bicycles in Georgia so that they're ready for you when you start stop hiking. Oh, wow. So we said to those people, you're crazy that you want to do this.
2: <laughs> that, that's a thousand kilometer ride. Yeah. And you're from Canada. For you, distances are amazing, amazingly big. But we're from the Netherlands and Belgium where you have cycled there, so you know. But in three days, you have cycled the whole country on a very quite easy pace. So
4: yeah, yeah.
2: it's so tiny. We cannot imagine people driving for how many hours? Like Well,
3: yeah i don't know but they said well, well we have family living there it's a good reason to visit them uh we'll <laughs> pick up your bicycles so there was there was the bicycles from hike from cycling to hiking and then after the hike we cycled to the start of the canoe trail and we had one deal with this canoe company but the only thing was they wanted to have their canoe back so oh they came to pick up the canoe. Um, and that was perfect for us because they could bring our bicycles.
2: Well, then we made the deal that okay, you can have your canoe back, but <laughs> <laughs>
4: bring our- can we get our bike back? <laughs>
1: yeah, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. It was a nice deal.
2: No, that was very nice, a uh, very nice deal.
1: Yeah. yeah. Let's go back uh, just for a moment to uh, Mexico.
2: I, knew
1: it. <laughs> <laughs> I I would like to go back right now. Um, I was the cycling uh, in Mexico?
2: I was wondering another question. Uh the cycling. Oh. Mexico.
1: What was the question you were wondering?
2: Oh, uh, I, I yeah, I thought you were going through the the narcos. The oh, they will come.
1: Oh, actually, yeah, I was uh, that was the next one right after yeah. that. But Mexico. Um,
3: um for us, we we went so we arrived in in Cancun in Mexico, then we went to Belize and through Guatemala and, and then back to Mexico. Then back into Mexico. Mm-hmm. And For people that have never been in this area, um, the south of uh, the area in Cancun, which is called Yutacan, is very green. As well, Uh, Belize and Guatemala, they're very, very green, lots of water, mountains. And then you arrived in the south of Mexico. It was maybe because of the season, but it was very dry. Um, Mexico is quite a developed country compared to Guatemala. Uh, So there was a lot of traffic on the roads. so in, in the beginning, we didn't really like cycling in Mexico um, just because it was too warm, too dry, and too much traffic. There are okay. beautiful things to see. So yeah. you, you have beautiful waterfalls and canyons. and
2: But it, to get there, you have to first go over a, a very busy road with lots of
3: sand and speedy drivers.
1: Is it more the touristic area?
3: Yeah, it was, it was kind of touristic as well. Okay. Um, but once we were... Um, well, if you're too close to Mexico City, it's it's crowded everywhere, so many people. But we liked especially the part northeast of, of Mexico, and um, that was just beautiful. There was green mountains, um, quiet roads. That was absolutely amazing to cycle. Hmm. And I think most of the people going from Alaska to Patagonia, they follow the the, the west coast of Mexico mm. that's the okay. most common one and the, the east one the east coast is not so well known but it's surprised it's beautiful
2: mm. hmm. well the other, the other reason is because they start to say that it's not safe here <laughs> <laughs>
1: like they always say um no no
2: it's not safe here here like they didn't say it's not safe there. They said it's not safe. It's not here.
1: safe here. Okay, so it's like it's like. We had to, you have know, to like,
2: listen. We had to start. You
1: with- have to listen to that. Yeah. Yeah. Talk about the narco's. <laughs> I'm really curious about that. Uh, <laughs>
4: yeah. Yeah. Um
3: It was if you were we're getting closer to the border with US and people were more and more. They were saying it's not safe here. You shouldn't cycle here. Mm-hmm. Um, Well, we didn't feel unsafe at all because the people were still very welcoming and friendly. So for us, what they were saying was still, we were not listening well to, it was not safe here. We were still thinking, oh, they're just saying something. Um, But then the last province um, at the border, that's when we, we left a family. And she was a woman, she was very afraid of all the narco things and um, so we we followed their advice and we said okay we'll take try to take some main roads and go as quickly as possible but the first road we took um a guy stopped us already and he told to zoe you shouldn't cycle here they take women um i just stopped to warn you and um, you shouldn't be here just go to the highway and go as fast as possible oh, so that wow. was the first real warning um at that moment so that's what we did we went to the highway and we just cycled on the highway we should have taken the bus and we shouldn't have cycled but we kept on following this highway and it was fine Um, people were well you could see that people were afraid there when we were looking for a place to camp we always asked their people in the yard and that was the first time where people were saying to us um, i don't know if i can trust you so I have family, and I don't know who you are and where you come from. Um, I can't do it, and this, oh. this actually never happened during our trip. And that's where we what we experienced there. So we were feeling that it was different. Um, so we were cycling 150 kilometers a day there to 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 pass the region as fast as possible.
2: It was about three three days from the moment that we heard it was unsafe. Three days to the border. So I mean, we were just naive and. And we just continued cycling. Now it was one day before that we arrived at the border that we were still on this highway where we had to be. uh, But suddenly it was not really looking like a highway anymore. And it was like a very quiet road where no other cars were. And we were cycling and we felt something was strange. But uh, we continued by that time still. And then I said to Oliver, what's that guy doing there? And there was a guy like standing in the in the in the grass in the bushy area next to the road. And he was just standing there. And and then I said to Oliver, I, I don't trust it. It's probably wrong that I don't trust it. And it's very wrong of me probably, but I don't <laughs> trust it. And and Oliver said, like, yeah, it's probably just the guy who is uh, who is checking on the oil fields, like uh, what is Babaka?
3: A guard a guard something.
2: a guards checking on the oil feed fields, and I was cycling and wondering about myself if I was correct mm-hmm. <laughs> and then suddenly there was another guy there in the same also in the in the grassy area, and then Oliver also said something is wrong. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so, but we had basically no cho- choice because we knew that the, we were close to the border of the U S and going back was also weird. So we continued kind of with our own. We were afraid at that time. We just didn't I, I know guess what so. to do. So we continued thinking like what to do, what to, what to do. And then there was another guy and then things went very quickly. And suddenly there was a big car coming at us and he really clearly signed that we had to stop and then even because we were so afraid we said we're just gonna keep going we're just gonna keep going we're just gonna keep going and then oliver said no stop and and we stopped (laughs) i just listened to oliver by that time i was really afraid and uh and well then oliver went over to the car and we just did as as if nothing was wrong we said hey how are you and nice to meet you (laughs) and we really tried to be really relaxed and 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 just this unknown traveler that's just crossing that path like we would do if a car would stop because it happens often that a car stops and just comes over to to ask hey what are you doing are you cycling and where are you going yeah just friendly I mean but this Mm -hmm. time it was clearly different because he was Telling us what to tell, and uh, the, the most rememberable thing was that uh, the guy asked for our passports, and I was like, "No, you're not gonna take her passports. You're not oh. police." Uh, that's what I said, and Oliver really thought, like, "What are? You, what is she saying?" And he uh, he handed over, and I thought he was handing over our passports, which I thought was very stupid, because then we would never cross to the U.S. anymore. But he gave us our identity cards, which is not the same. And, okay. um, and Oliver just continued the conversation as the very friendly traveler passing through. And then in the end, the guy said, well, okay, I will let you go, and I will tell all my men that they don't touch you. You can go.
1: <laughs> I would just like probably smile wave and then uh, probably uh, would be in a breakdown down the road
3: yeah exactly well, we just <laughs> <And> then, <laughs> until at the border, yeah, I think we never cycled faster than this after that moment. <laughs> We were just racing, racing to the borders,
2: and then and in- all those
3: guys were every every like five hundred meters there was a guy standing there. In yeah. um, next to the next to the road and well, by that time they all knew who we are. And also the first village we passed, there were so many weird people. They they all looked like from the Siri narcos and they were everybody knew who we are. But, but, but
2: oh. it was it was Scary because we were very afraid and I remember that we came in this town and like I told you before people just live they have no choice they grew up there and it's war and they have to live so they live so the people that are there are not all bad people there are a lot of friendly people but they are afraid too and that's the thing because then we arrived in this village and we were so afraid that I wanted to hear from people what was going on because we still didn't know who those people were Okay. so I remember going over to three women because I was like, I can trust women, (laughs) but uh, they didn't respond to my question. I literally asked who were those people and uh, probably that's what another guy told us later is like you have the good people and you have the bad people and some they do business for the Narcos, of course. So they keep an eye. They just live there, but they keep an eye on everything and they're watching you. So, um, yeah, it, it, it was very afraid. And then until this moment, uh, where we met a, a veterinarian, uh, and, uh, I, I, I always say, I looked in his eyes and I just knew he was a good guy okay. and that, and, and he was, he really helped us to get out as quickly as possible. And, uh,
3: but he was, he was, we were in the shop and he was constantly looking outside and say he was, he was whispering to us and. And he said, on the other side of the street, don't look, please. But on the other side of the street, there are people there, and they are watching us and trying to say to see what we're saying. So act normal. And oh god, <laughs> left, yeah. And then he helped us to get out of the the town to the border.
1: But were you far from the border? No, but it that was about
3: only- no, it was about ten kilometers. And okay. At the border, and there was another town, and there was police again. But in between, well, the area we cycled, police was not allowed there because it was controlled completely by narco traffic, yeah. Only military was allowed to pass, but if police would pass, it would be uh, shootings and those things. But, so-
2: to end the story, we... Had, nothing happened to us. They didn't steal from us. They didn't touch us. Nothing, nothing happened. And I think it's so important to tell that as yeah. well, that it was just a very small area next to the border where we were the ones who were very naive and we should have been listening uh, carefully. But all the rest of Mexico and South America and any other country that we have passed is I can't, I never can say safe because you never know what's happening, but it felt very safe to us. And this is the only place and it's just a a small circle that was not safe and where we shouldn't have been. And it's our fault being there. So go to there, go to Mexico. It's a safe country. I shouldn't say that, but I mean, you can cycle there happily and freely and people are so friendly.
1: And today it's a, it's another story. So it's an, yeah. That's an interesting story. Yeah, luckily.
4: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But
1: let's go. Yeah, luckily. <laughs> let's go back to the end of your canoe trip. You then cycled to a town up Quebec City, saint brigitte de laval Yeah.
4: <laughs> you and did very well.
1: <laughs> yeah, because I'm actually from Quebec City. Oh. And I could see Sainte-Brigitte de Laval from uh, from Quebec, from the higher part of the city. And I, I'm really curious what wonders of the world are hidden over there that I miss my entire life, because why finish your trip there?
4: <laughs> um,
3: we When we were mm-hmm. in Peru, we met a family and they were traveling with their two young boys in the south of Peru. And... We were at that moment, Zoe's mom was visiting us, so we weren't cycling, but we were um, traveling with minibuses in the south of Peru with Zoe's mom, and we shared a minibus with this Canadian couple, and they said, like many people say, um, if you come to Quebec or whatever place in the world, but they said, if you come to Quebec, you have a place, and they were still following our journey, and once we were in the north of the US, they sent us a message and they no, said,
2: I, we sent them No, no, send
3: they me. send us a message. Oh. And they said, oh, I see you're getting close to Quebec. Are you coming to visit us? Um, so that's where we uh, made St. Brigitte Laval as a destination for us.
2: I always say <laughs> people are in danger if they are around us because <laughs> there is a very good chance that we ask them <laughs> to pitch our tent in their yard or there's a good chance that they say just like to be kind You're welcome in my place, but they don't really mean it, but we will be
4: there.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I remember uh, there's a a guy that calls Joe Kremeski, and I think he has like four child, all boy, and uh, his wife, they were traveling and they were, they're like, don't make that mistake of inviting us because we'll take (laughs) that really seriously. (laughs) Yeah,
4: exactly. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs)
1: You know I mean, <laughs> so we're uh nearly at the end of it. I think we're gonna have a new record on the podcast. So let's talk about uh your bikes actually, or more your gear. Um, that's the quick part of the interview. Did you have uh, we already talked about your bike? Did you have any special gear on your bikes?
3: Mm. What do you mean with special
4: gear?
1: Like something that it's not common on a bicycle touring, but you really wanted to have this or like uh, you didn't mind the extra weight to carry around.
4: Okay.
3: Well, we, um, so we didn't know if we would like cycling. So mm-hmm. We did carry two big backpacks, hiking backpacks on the back of the bicycle. Hmm. And with the idea, if we don't like cycling, we can just leave the bicycles and uh, become backpackers or go hiking. Yeah. Um, And we did carry these backpacks until, well, the whole of South America, and we used them on the Appalachian Trail. So all the time we've been cycling, we had those two backpacks, mostly empty just on the back (laughs) of of our panniers. And sometimes we use them as food storage or those things. No,
2: yeah, that's what I want to say. It Actually, I would even recommend people doing that, people that do like – Going for a two-day hike, track uh, a two-day hike if they are somewhere where you have nice hikes. Well, it came very handy for us because we did some hikes along the the cycling, and you just pack your cycling panniers into your backpack, and and then you go. Plus, you have this backpack as a as a very big food storage. If you have to cross, for example, Patagonia, where you have uh, where you need several days of food, you can just uh, stuff, stuff your bag, backpacks full mm-hmm. with food. So I would do that again. I would bring my backpack if I would like to go uh, hiking as well.
3: Um, I know many people are are, are a fan of using this rack pack from Ordleap. Uh, yeah, kind. I do. I
1: have one too.
3: Um, but this one is it's it's good if you're only doing bike touring, but it's not really useful to to carry on a bike, true. for example. So and. Well, a backpack is not completely waterproof, but if you use the backpack cover on it, uh, on the back as well, like we had it all the time, then it's kind of waterproof as well. So we have never had issues with this. Um, it's
1: yeah. like a revelation to me. You're totally right.
4: <laughs> yeah,
1: because we, What am I doing with this Ortlieg? Ortlieg Yeah. Well, again, Ortlieb is still amazing. The, the, the panniers yeah. and, and
3: the handlebar bags are amazing, but the rack pack for us on a bicycle... Well, also we had our family uh, came to visit us quite often, Zoe's parents, my parents, my brothers. Um, and then they didn't want to go cycling with us most of the time. So they would more like to visit the country and then we would just take our backpacks and go with them a couple of weeks. Um, it was much more convenient yeah. and logical for us to do. We
2: could swap into backpack backpackers anytime.
1: <laughs> That's yeah. like the old duty bicycle.
4: Exactly. Yeah,
1: and did did you change a lot of uh, on your bike um, since the beginning of your adventure, or is it like mostly stayed the same and it's still working?
3: Uh, yeah, I think no, we didn't change anything. But I think all the almost all the parts are somewhere on the trip have been renewed. In we, some way. we
2: did twenty eight thousand kilometers on the bikes, so it's logical that gear wears out right after a while.
3: But we didn't we didn't know anything about cycling when we left. So there were tires on the bicycles, but we had no idea that the quality of a tire is important. So when we, I had to change my tire in Portugal, and I just bought the cheapest one I could find, oh. and I did the same in Brazil and in Argentina, and I had so many flat tires until I realized that um, the quality of of a tire is quite important. Because then we switched to Schwalbe tires and. From the whole stretch from Mendoza to Ushuaia, I only had one flat tire on, on really bad roads.
1: You went with the um, marathon mondial?
3: Um, no, no even not. Or... Well, in the end, yes, we had the okay. one. Uh, but in Mendoza, I think I switched to the Delta Cruisers. Okay, yeah. Um, which are not really meant for bike touring,
1: but like, really resistant.
3: Yeah, they their 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 puncture resistance is really good. But
2: in the end, talking about gear, our way of traveling is going with gear that already exists. Like I said, there is always a solution. So we brought secondhand bikes from by that by that time when we bought them were 27 years old. So uh, and they still worked. We could we have cycled any kind of road and why we were so certain that they would work was just because they people have always done it that way so yeah. you don't need the newest gear or the best bicycle there is you can just start off with anything there is if you don't have a big budget it's uh, but also if you have a big budget there is enough sp- stuff around so why buying a lot of new stuff i think um, totally true it it will work it will i work.
1: am I once started my one of my trip uh, with a really, really expensive, super beautiful bike. And uh, I was ill-prepared and I, I couldn't do more than 100 kilometer, and I had to go back home. So it's not really the bike, it's like your mindset and, yeah. and you're right. you uh, make it work.
2: Yeah. I'm a product designer myself and I have learned that we are taught as product designers to find the limits of pricing which means you're going to find the limits of material to get a cheaper price. But mm-hmm. that's not what they did 20 years ago, 20 years ago. It had the limits of being at least strong enough. So it, it doesn't break and uh, maybe a little more years than 20 actually. Mm-hmm. Um, so I always think that the gear that that's made in those times is better than the gear we have now, because now it has to have those limits of money and that that means it's it's uh, the quality is less good
4: than okay. it was
1: let's jump already to some advice i i was curious what is your journaling process uh do you do you take notes and uh photograph on the way and write it down later or you did most of it on the road
3: um most of it is on the road um if we, what we mostly do when in the tent in the evening is just write down some words of the day, um, or stories and those things very short. And when we have a rest day, then we write a story, the complete story, but well, we okay. try to, to write down some small bullets, bullet points with.
1: Did you publish it already on the website or you kept it and then, uh, you would do it? Um,
3: we, we started publishing right away from the start of, okay. our trip.
1: yes. And um do you have any advice for a couple who are embarking in like really long journey together
2: Definitely go and sit together and talk on what your individual individual uh wishes are I still think this is the key we didn't know it by then but we sat down and said okay we're going to go on a world trip but what do I want so not what do we want what do I want so we both took like Uh, a paper uh, and wrote down the things that we personally want wanted and then we start chatting on what uh, we both uh, had written down and see the the differences but mostly every most things we had in common and then we basically uh, shaped our trip to the things that we had in common and uh, and that's how our trip started and as well we already discussed like what do we do if we both want to do something else? So that's the the, the story of the sailing boat. We already said in the beginning of the trip that if one of us wants something else that the other doesn't want to do, we will respect each other on doing that. So I think I still think that's the key on how why we had a good start together. In the end, you will develop, you will become one. But in the start, I think uh, that is what really had set.
1: Communication is important. Yes.
2: Nice. Very
3: important. Yeah. Especially as, if you go as a couple.
4: Yeah.
1: Yeah. So uh, that's um, mostly it for the interview. Where can people find out more about you?
2: Um, we have a website which is uh, uh, w e l e a f we leave. n l. Uh, It's also written in English and in Dutch. And um, then we have the social medias. uh, So you can find us on uh, Instagram, on We Leave, on Facebook, also on We Leave. And on YouTube, we have uh, made um, both episodes and short movies. And also you can find us on YouTube slash We Leave.
1: and there's actually a funny thing with our name. We leave. Yeah, I was about to ask you that question. So good timing. <laughs> but I don't know. You're Canadian,
3: so you, do you know the, the Canadian company We Leave?
1: Um,
3: no, I do not. There's a Canadian company. We wanted to have the 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 name, the domain name, the com name, but it was it was taken by a company in Canada, and it's the name is We Leave, and they make uh, medical marijuana
1: oh okay <laughs> so they have is there any,
3: yeah there's no connection with us <laughs>
1: <laughs> but uh is there like uh, some people like saying like i was trying to go on your website and i was sold some marijuana
4: no no no, no, no. I, I
2: think we took over i'm, I'm... <laughs> yeah
1: when i looked for you it was your like website in first
3: Yes,
2: yeah, I guess exactly, so. Yeah, if you look yeah. on
1: Google, I think yeah. we, we appear. I don't know if the company still exists. Yes, so. it
2: does, I think. But I think- Look
1: look for the dot .com. Sorry? Look for the dot .com. That's what I do one, once in a while. I have like a website and it's .ca and I once in a while I'm going and then I look and it's like, oh, now it's available and now I bought it.
4: Oh, ah, that's good. Yeah. yeah.
1: I do that. I do that at least once a month. It works well.
4: Okay, uh, good tip. <laughs> I know Thanks.
1: I know there's a that there's a book in the work uh, we talked uh, about it earlier. Have you set a release date?
2: Uh we don't have set a release date yet, but it's going to come soon the release date. So, we do think about uh October. It, it will depend on the
3: publisher, but it will probably be early October.
1: Okay. Are you um like what phase of the publishing you are in right now? Um, Still creating content, or
2: we are kind of special talking about making a book because most, mostly you just write the story, but we also do the design ourselves.
1: Okay, okay. I saw your website; is really complete and it's a beautiful website. So, is it from you too?
4: Yeah, yeah. Thank yeah,
1: you. Thank you. Yes. <laughs> it is. I really like the data. I like the data page, uh, you get the <laughs> puncture, you get everything, you get all the. Will muscle
3: be that in the book as well
4: yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah. what's next for the two of you any like big tour or just mm-hmm. a book and then take it trying to make it home after this trip
2: well actually that's what I want to say earlier is when you asked is this the end of the trip and um, I think we don't make it the end of a trip. I mean of course the f- the 4 years is a nice number to say okay we have been traveling around but the thing is often people think when you're finishing you go home and you stop and you continue with what you did before. So for example you're going to go working again in what you did before. But we think we have changed as as beings and we have new wishes. So we think our trip is what we are now and we're just gonna continue on that so instead of going back we are continuing and i'm not sure if this is just a mindset for myself to accept the fact or it's really something that helped that's helpful because i don't feel yet the the black hole that everybody talks about after a big tour or not mm. being able to settle down I think we don't feel that because we we don't see it as if we have ended and uh, we just continue. So now we are in Sweden and we are writing on the book. Then we want to publish the book uh, both internationally, but we want to do as well a book tour in the Netherlands and Belgium. And then we do think about uh, settling kind of in Norway um, but we want to continue with uh, We Leave, and we are doing uh, lots of uh, micro adventures right now uh, in all kinds of different sports. And we also want to continue um, learning about other sporty ways of traveling. So uh, that's what we will, will continue in. And then also, we have to earn one day. <laughs> Yeah. So we do think about bringing people on the trip and also to make a course online on how to start uh, being adventurous so to help people out.
1: Oh, about not really being like how to do an adventure but how to become a yeah. more adventurous person.
3: Person. Yeah, to make yeah. life more adventurous.
1: That's a that's a really ins- inspiring answer. I think that's it. Zoe Olivier. Thanks again for your time. It was great getting to know you, and I wish you the best for your next round of adventures.
2: Thank you very uh, much. It you was so really much. nice talking yeah. to you.
1: <laughs> and that's it. I think we set up a new record. record.
2: <laughs> Yay! We love it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> We're not known to cut uh, to cut down the the um, the, uh, the the podcast, so it might be a two-hour podcast. But like, it was really interesting talking to you too.
3: Thank you very much. Yeah, well I really liked the way you prepared it. And also that you have been reading blogs and looking at maps and those things. There was yeah, I really like that. Be- yeah. Because we had we had we often have an interview with a newspaper and then their basic the question is, yeah, just tell a little bit what you've done. And yeah. where do you start? But I really like your approach that you have been that you had an idea already what we have done and your question based on things on the trip. Right? It's really, well nice, yeah. really well done. Really
1: well done. Can I can I make a confession? Yes. It was actually my first time.
3: Really? <laughs> oh, really?
1: Wow. My, my very first time. You're like I have like a, another rounds of uh, interview next week, but it was the first time I was interviewing anyone.
4: Wow! Really?
2: Wow! wow. Yep. Well done. Very wow!
1: <laughs> thank, well you, done. thank you. Thank you. I'm really happy to hear that. <laughs> Yeah. So I'll, uh, I'll let you, uh, I'll let you go probably sleep or like maybe, uh, yeah. relax in the evening. And, um, I'm really happy how it turns out. So, uh, soon uh, we'll have to to do the cutting and two hours on the podcast is a really long uh, endeavor. Yeah. But, um, as soon as, uh, as soon as it's done, uh, I'll, uh, I'll let you know.
4: Yes. All right. Great. Thank you very much. <laughs>
1: You're very welcome. See ya. Bye-bye.
0: Hey everyone, before we end this podcast, I'd like to tell you about some of Bike Tour Adventure's other amazing partners. I'm very proud to be supported by Brockton Cyclery, a Toronto based bike shop dedicated to bike touring and bike packing. Carrying many of the top bike touring and bike packing brands, I can honestly say that they have helped me to build the most durable and fast bike packing bike possible. We're also supported by Race Day Fuel. Their mission is to ensure that you consume the very best and appropriate food and beverage for the task at hand. Working with top brands such as Scratch, Noon, and Untapped, they have all your nutrition needs taken care of. For discount codes, check out the show notes or go to the Bike Tour Adventures website. Nicely done, Carl. Sweet job. I've now listened before recording this ending here to the vast majority of the episode. So really, really pleased with how it went and it flowed. And I think you did an awesome job. So you should be proud of yourself. The first one's the hardest and they all get easier from here. So congratulations. And as well, thank you, Zoe and Olivier for taking the time to be on the show, sharing your story and hopefully lending some inspiration to some of the other adventurers out there that listen to the show and get them thinking of like, what can we do in off seasons? What kind of alternative adventures we can do? Can we do? Sweet. Love it. If you do like the podcast, and I presume that if you have now listened for two hours straight, you do like the podcast, you can help support us by going to patreon.com slash bike tour adventures. There are multiple tiers there. $1, $1, $1 a month, $3 a month, and $5 a month, which really only means half of a coffee, up to two coffees per month to support the show, you know, and there's a lot of hidden costs going behind this show let alone the time. I mean I bet you Carl can attest to the fact that this took him hours and hours to edit. Uh, it was his first time he, it'll get faster but even on a you know on a typical one and a half hour podcast, I could spend five six hours editing and that's not even putting together the other tracks, the intro, recording the uh, the intro, the ending and stuff. It's a lot of work. so we're not asking for compensation for that. We're, we're doing that out of the the joy of the podcast. The only thing we're looking for money for is to help cover the costs, the monthly costs slash annual costs of hosting um, URLs, podcast hosting, the website, the theme, and that that's about it. So if you can do it, great. If you can't, you can help us another way. Uh, how would that be? Well, you can go to your favorite podcast app and give us a five-star review or yeah, a five-star review. I love it. You can also subscribe, tell your friends about it, call your grandma, say, hey, grandma, have you checked out this podcast? It's a bunch of crazy people that cycle around the world. And maybe she's down and she subscribes. And then she tells her old lady friends, which would be super cool. Maybe they'll all be on bikes touring the world. I think I'm ranting. I'm raving. Um, Time to go. So thank you again for listening and have an awesome day. Keep on pedaling. Bye-bye. I want to end the show by thanking all my listeners once again for the emails and comments I regularly receive from you. It really helps motivate me and keep me going with this project and to continue sharing people's amazing stories. If you have questions or comments, you can email me at bike at bikepackadventures.ca or go to bikepackadventures.ca and shoot me a message through the contact form. You can also check out the webpage for past podcast episodes, bikepacking routes throughout Canada, blog posts, videos and touring tips. Lastly, I'd like to once again thank all the individuals and companies that are supporting the podcast. If you are enjoying the show and like what I'm doing, you can become one of my show supporters by going to patreon.com slash bikepackadventures. And for just a few dollars a month, you can help keep this show going. You can also help out by sending a one-time donation through PayPal. This money all goes back into the podcast, help me to cover the costs associated with running the show, buy new equipment when necessary, and produce the high-quality content that you've become accustomed to. Much appreciated and keep on peddling.